0: Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home hopefully become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Thank you for the reading. Good morning. Last week in the readings, the theme running through them was the conditionality of time. There was the call to come and drink the water, drink the wine, and eat the bread without price. But then also the call to seek the Lord while he may be found. We also read the portion from Luke uh, that when confronted with tragedy, we are to be Uh, become more self-aware and use the time wisely to repent and to look at how we are orienting our lives. We also saw that the stories in the Old Testament are examples for us, St. Paul says, and they're often examples to show us what not to do. Sometimes we like to think of examples of uh, an example of someone we should follow, but sometimes a bad example is good for us because it shows us what, what not to do. I should probably not say this, but I remember one time many, many, many years ago when I was much, much younger, I lived overseas and I worked for a church, and then after I came back, uh, the people were like, well, how was your experiences over there? And I was like, they were great for the most part, but I learned a lot. And they're like, oh, really? Like what? And I said, I learned how not to run a church. (laughs) That That was pretty funny. I thought, well, maybe I'll just edit that part out of the podcast, but I thought it was funny, and it was kind of true. I learned a lot of what not to do. But that's also just as helpful for us as, as an example of what we should do. And so today, in, in our readings, we come to one of, if not the most well-known parable of Jesus, called the prodigal son. So in this, in this story, often the focus is on the relationship between the father and, and the sons and the unconditional love of God and uh the acceptance of the Father when the Son comes back. I'm going to focus on something a little bit different today with this parable. We're going to look at um, the the two sons, but we're going to look at the two sons as being representative of something. So in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, it says, The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry is that he drew both sides from both sides of the spectrum, right? Those who were were sinful and those who were considered the good ones. We see that what attracted the sinful to Jesus was not only what he taught and did, but also his willingness to receive them and to eat with them. And you might be thinking, what's the big deal about eating with sinners? Well, the big deal is that they're breaker of the law, right? The law that God himself had given them. They did not maintain the ritual purity laws, nor did they keep the moral law. Such people were to be shunned. They were to be shunned. But Jesus does something different. He goes into their homes and he eats with them, right? And this isn't like you're driving past like a Chipotle or, or like a Longhorn and like, ooh, I'm gonna meet my friend there. Or, hey, hey, wanna meet me here for lunch? And you spend like an hour, eat real quick, and then you go. Now, when you go to somebody's home, you know how it's, you, most of you have, have homes or apartments or condos or something like that, and you've had people over or you've gone over to other people's houses. Usually you bring some food and you eat and you spend a lot of time with each other and you talk and you get to know one another. That's what's going on here. Jesus is going into people's homes who are sinful, and he's spending time with them, and he's eating with them, table fellowship with them. The religious leaders would never do that. They would never go into the houses of sinners. They would never associate with them, because then they themselves would become impure. But what happens when the pure, spotless Lamb of God walks into the theater of sin? Sin must give way. And the tax collectors were distinctly notorious because they were seen as traitors to their own people. Because what they would do is is they would obtain the rights from Rome to collect taxes. And all of us are like, taxes, But this is a little bit different. They could do whatever they wanted, and Rome didn't care. You could do whatever you want as a tax collector as long as Rome got Rome's cut. So what would happen is these tax collectors would tax more than necessary, and then they would keep the money. And then the money that they would take in from taxes would go to house and feed the Roman soldiers to maintain the Roman occupation. Because when you're an empire as large as Rome, it takes a lot of money to buy supplies, to feed all of your armies and all of your your people there. So tax collectors were notorious sinners because they would steal from their own people. They were seen as particularly wicked. But we see tax collectors drawn to Jesus. We see sinful people drawn to Jesus. And if, you're, if you want to read a story about that, there's actually a story of the tax collector Zacchaeus, who invites who Jesus goes to his home and, and Jesus visits with him. But notice here who's also drawn to Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes. They are there too. They seem to be there, in this instance anyway, to grumble and to cause some drama. But we know from other texts in Scripture that there were some of the Pharisees and religious leaders who were more than just fascinated by Jesus, who were legitimately curious about him, who he was, what he had to say. Because we have to remember, his preaching and teaching have authority, right? Unlike anything else that they've ever heard. And his teaching and his authority results in remarkable healings and deliverances from affliction. And we see this demonstrated in religious leaders like Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees who came to Jesus by night, who also took care of Jesus' body, taking it off the cross. So it's remarkable that the religious leaders who would think should not be repulsed by him are repulsed by him a little bit, even though they're kind of being drawn to him at the same time. And it's interesting that the sinners who you would think should be repulsed by him are actually drawn But we need to notice here, brothers and sisters, that both groups, right, the religious and the sinful, they are both in need. They are both in need. And maybe the sinful people have an advantage in this regard because they can at least see that while some of the religious, see what some of the the religious leaders can't. So when we read this story, let's have this representation here in mind for both groups as uh, encapsulated in, in both sons, right? So you have the two sons. You have the first son, the prodigal. So there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them, right? So let's take a few things into consideration here. This would be a highly disrespectful request. It's disrespectful because he's saying, hey, dad, all of the money that I would get, all of the land or whatever I would get upon your death, I want it now. It's my money and I need it now. He's basically saying, yeah, I wish you were dead. (laughs) So all of the stuff that's supposed to be mine will come to me. He's acting essentially as if his father is dead. And so we know the story. The father gets mad and throws him out of the house and writes him out of the will. No, the father, for whatever reason, says okay and does that. He gives him his share of the inheritance. And the younger son takes the money he invests it wisely. He makes a tidy profit from the stock market by getting in early on a big tech company investment opportunity. Nope, not he certainly does not. He does what many of us would do when given large sums of money. He spends it, all of it. He leaves his home behind, he abandons his family, because remember, he's asked for what is his should his father be dead, so he's, he's left. He leaves his home behind and he travels far away to another country and he squanders all of it in reckless living, all of it. But then one day famine hits and he's run out of money and he can't get any help. So he has to go work with the pigs and he gets so hungry that he eats the food that's meant for the pigs. So think of this, he has cut all ties with his family, he's moved away to a Gentile country, wasted everything he has, and he's now tending pigs and eating their food. And he is a Jew. This is forbidden stuff here for him. This is unclean, it's meant to show us this is how low he has sunk in the story. But it says, one day he came to himself, and he realizes that even though he's no longer a son, he could still find help at his father's house as a servant. Because remember, in leaving and taking his inheritance, he has cast himself off from the family and he is no longer a son. So he goes home to the home that he left behind. He has no right to do so, but he realizes his sin and he rehearses a speech and he acknowledges in the story three things. The first one is he says to himself, I have sinned. The second thing he says is, I'm not worthy. And the third thing he says, I'm going to tell my dad, Treat me like a servant. He has this three-pronged realization. And he returns home. And we know the story, right? We just heard it read. The father, unlike a rich, wealthy, proper person would do, he runs out to meet his son, right? He kisses him. He brings him home. He gives him new clothes. He gives him rings. He gives him a shoe. And he calls for the feast. And he does this to show everyone that the son is once again considered part of the family right the son that was dead is alive the son that has run away who has abandoned the family is back he is alive and he is once again brought into the family the father does not treat him like the servant he expects to be treated like the father treats him as if he never left now we see the older brother luke 15 25 his older son was in the field he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing. So this is the first mention of the older brother in the action of the story. So what is the older brother doing while the younger brother was making his way home? Well, the older brother is doing what he's supposed to do. He's doing what a good son is supposed to do. He's hard at work. And he hears music. And he asks the servant what happens. And when he hears that his brother is back and there's a feast going on, it says he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. The son doesn't listen initially and answers his father, These years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. This son of yours, right? The older brother is still acting as if The younger brother is no longer part of the family. And it sounds a little bit like he might have a point, right? It sounds like he does. He does kind of, if you're sitting here and you have a certain sort of personality, it sounds like the older son actually does have a point. Like, I've been faithful to you. I've been obedient to you. I've fulfilled all of my obligations as your son. You've never done anything like this for me. And then this guy wastes all of your money and you just let him come back into the house. Where's the boundaries at, dad? <laughs> right? we, we have all these conversations nowadays about healthy boundaries and positive boundaries. Older son's like, boundaries, dad. And he's angry. He's angry. He stayed. He worked hard. He didn't abandon the family and act like the family was dead. He was the one person who held everything together. And he has never been rewarded. And the bees up in the corner say, amen. The father responds to the older son, son, you were always with me. You were always with me. And what else does he say? He says, everything I have is what? Is yours. You have always been with me. Everything I have is yours, everything. All of his inheritance, everything that was rightfully his, which according to the law would have been a double portion beyond what the younger son. So there's still more than enough left over for the older son. The father says, it's all yours. All of it is yours. He kind of affirms, I think, the older son's initial point by acknowledging, yes, you have always been with me. But then he reinforces this by saying, hey, remember, everything I have belongs to you. The younger son is now part of the family. He's back once again, but the older son will still receive everything. So when we look at this story, we see the two people at the beginning. We see the tax collectors and sinners, and we see the Pharisees and the scribes. So in this story, the Pharisees and the scribes are the older brother. And in this story, the sinners and the tax collectors, they are the prodigal son. They are the son that left. So when we read this story, we have to understand that the goodness of God is available and extended through Jesus Christ to both groups of people, the sinners and the religious people. That's kind of the point of the parable, that those who know they need forgiveness and grace and those who think that they don't need forgiveness and grace, both need forgiveness and grace. Both groups need God's love. Both groups need God's acceptance, God's forgiveness, and God's Restoration. Remember the acknowledgement of the, other, the, the younger son. I have sinned. I'm not worthy. Treat me the way I think that I deserve. God says in response to this, yes, you have sinned, but I forgive you. Yes, you're not worthy, but I will make you worthy. And my grace means I'm going to treat you like my child and not like an outsider. And those who trust in their own rightness who think that they're better than everybody else because maybe they made better decisions or didn't get involved in stuff that they shouldn't. Those who trust in that, they may not have that response. They may not even have the self-awareness to have that response. They even may respond in anger to see the extravagant goodness and grace of God extended to those who they think are not worthy. But brothers and sisters, both are invited to the feast. The younger son is invited to the feast and the older son is invited to the feast. The older son, as inheriting everything, he still is with the father. He still has the rights to go in and enjoy the feast, to celebrate the feast, to eat the same fatted calf that's been slain and being cooked for the younger son. He can still go in and be part of the feast because the feast is for everyone. The feast is for everyone for both. And so the listeners of the story, the religious leaders, right, and the sinners and the tax collectors, they both would have understood this, because the religious leaders are the ones who stayed faithful to the God, right? They are the ones who are actively trying to figure out how do we apply the law of God to our lives, and how do we live rightly in this, in our time and and, and age, right? And the tax collectors and the sinners are the part of the people of God, even those who have been outside the people of God, who are like, eh, that's fine for you, but we're going to go do our own thing. We're going to go waste our, our lives and do what's wrong, right? Jesus is saying there, you're both invited to the feast. Both of you <laughs> need me, right? Both of you need my grace, my goodness. And for us, brothers and sisters, we need to realize that too, that no matter how right we may think we are as Christians when compared with other people, that we are, need to have the self-awareness to realize that those that we think fall short are also invited to the feast. And as brothers and, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's also part of our job, as St. Paul's talking about being reconciled to God and being ambassadors, it's actually also part of our job to bring those who are outside the feast to tell them that a feast is even there in the first place that they can be a part of, and then to bring them in to the feast so they can partake of the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And so to our Lord Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I ask that you take a few minutes and help us if you could. We've recently begun fundraising efforts for some repairs that our building really, really needs. If you could, go to our Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ or our website, zionstoneucc.com, you'll see a link to a fundraising page we've set up at GoFundMe, which I'll include in the description of this episode and all episodes moving forward. GoFundMe.com slash SaveZionStoneUCC. If you could help us out, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, please keep us in prayer as we go through this fundraising process. You can also please, if you have some time, rate, on iTunes, and you can also find this podcast on Spotify as well. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you.